Hello there, I'm Lars Hammer. I'm the pastor here at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church in Marana, Arizona. I want to welcome you back to my Walk Through the Psalms Bible Study, where we just look at, little by little, different passages of the Psalms, look a little bit at their context, and talk about what they mean to us. I pick the Psalms in particular because the Psalms deal with a lot of the issues that you and I struggle with in life, and they are, a lot of the times, a very honest portrayal of people's faith and a very honest struggle of faith. So that's what makes the Psalms, I think, very useful. So today we're going to look at Psalm 75. We're going to look at the beginning of Psalm 75 and we'll read that through. Here we go. And uh, we're going to use the New Revised Standard Version. At that time, I at the, I'm sorry, at the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters with all its inhabitants, it is I who keep its pillars steady. Salah. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with insolent neck. Okay. Uh, we're going to do this chunk and then we're going to do one that comes after. But we'll start right here. The Old Testament doesn't have a lot of talk about a final judgment. It does talk about God's judgment and it does talk about future judgment. That's what we have here, a future judgment. At the set time that I appoint, God's a little bit being like, I will take care of things at a time of my choosing, which is to remind us that God's time is not the same as our time. So this, whole, this particular piece of the psalm is written from God's perspective. At the, I will judge with equity. So God will judge fairly. Uh, verse 3, when the earth totters, this is kind of an interesting one, it is I who keep its pillars steady. This goes back to an ancient, ancient cosmology that believed I don't know, maybe literally, uh, sometimes literally, maybe not, but I, I think they more or less believed that the earth sat, that there were giant pillars underneath the earth, and that when there were earthquakes, uh, it was the pillars shaking underneath, and that the pillars held up the earth. Not exactly how we see the earth today, but that's the image, and the point of it isn't that we still believe in pillars. It's that when the earth moves, it is God who moves it. And when things are steady, when things are steady, it's because God makes them steady. And so he's saying that uh, when everything seems to be chaotic, it, it is God who holds it steady, knowing that there's chaos all around. Uh, when the earth totters, again, kind of hard for us to imagine the earth tottering. But that's kind of how the ancients saw it. But the point was that God holds it. Salah is just a word that you use, see a lot in the Psalms. It means something like refrain. And we believe that when the Psalms were played musically, Salah would be your cue to go back to the musician to maybe sing a refrain, do an instrumental, something like that. Verse four, okay, so God goes to the, says to the boastful, don't boast. Uh, the wicked, don't lift up your horn. Your horn is kind of a way of bragging. You kind of think of a military thing, but it was also sort of a way of sort of announcing your presence. God's saying to the, the wicked and the boastful, don't lift up your horn, don't, don't think too highly of yourself, right? Don't lift it up on high or speak with insolent neck. What an interesting kind of image. I, I see this image 
insolent neck, it kind of reminds me of being snooty. You know how we say you get your nose in the air. To do that, you got to kind of tilt your neck. I don't know. That's the image that comes to my mind. You know, don't, don't give God, to God a posture of disrespect. Right? Don't do to God what you wouldn't do to your teacher. Okay, let's keep going here. Let's get to the next chunk. Uh, this is verses 6 through 9. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes justice, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup of foaming wine, well mixed. He will pour a draft from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will rejoice forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All right. East and west, what's going on here? Uh, the wording of that first one's a little bit awkward, right? For, for not from the east or the west comes lifting up. So the lifting up of what? Probably the earth, right, and the pillars. So what holds up the earth is not something in the east or west. It's not the great empires around. It's the Lord God who does it. But it's God who executes judgment. It's not the empires around who do that. It's God who executes judgment. And he puts them all down, right? Putting down one, lifting up another. If one does well, it's because God lets it do well. If one struggles, it's because God lets it struggle, which is a difficult theology to kind of wrestle with. You know, does God make one kingdom powerful because that's God's choice? You know, we can all think of some really horrible examples of horrible kings and horrible kingdoms and really have to weigh that you know, kind of question, do, do we really think that, you know, for example, Maoist China was powerful because God gave Mao the power? I, like, I would like to think not, uh, but why, you know, you're in the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament world, there wasn't a heaven or a hell, and there isn't really, Satan isn't really much more than a character who asks annoying questions. There's not this dual powers battling. So when good happens, it's God's. When bad happens, it's God's. And if you believe that everything that happens is because God makes it happen, then you have to answer that question of what do you do when things go bad? And the prophets tended to look at the world from kind of a morality standpoint. Not as much a personal morality, but uh, a country does well, or country does well because God uh, gives it blessings, and God gives the country blessings because they have treated the poor with, fair, with fairness, because they have respected the Sabbath and not worshipped idols and uh, not put people in debt slavery. So if you're doing well, if you're prospering, it's because God's rewarding you. If you're suffering, it's because God's punishing you. And if your kingdom is strong, it's because God's rewarding your kingdom. And if your kingdom is struggling, it's because God is punishing your kingdom. And so when other enemies would come to invade, the logical conclusion was that God was choosing to give them the power. They have the power to attack us because God's giving them that power, and God is giving them that power because we've screwed up. You will see that all over Amos, Jeremiah, uh, first I, Isaiah, you'll see tons of this theme in the prophets over and over. You're seeing the same thing here in the Psalms. You know, God lifts up and God puts down, but it's God who does this. And uh, again, it, some, it, it does raise some interesting questions. All right, verse 8. 
For in the hand of the Lord is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. He will pour a draft from it, and the wicked of the earth shall drain it to the dregs. What an interesting image. Uh, so he's going to pour a cup, but it's going to be a, a, of, of foaming wine. So this is like good wine. He's making a cup of good wine, but when you drink the wine, you will taste God's judgment. This is an interesting image, this idea of the cup, right? That God's will, God's judgment, good or bad, uh, God's desire for you, good or bad, is in a cup. And you drink it, and it either goes down well or it goes down poorly. It either, either gives you happiness or it gives you pain. Uh, it's either a blessing or it's a poison. But the notion of associating God's will with a cup uh, is not just here. This one just takes it especially, makes it especially vivid, you know. Uh, God's going to make it, and you pour this draft, you picture like, it almost looks like a brewer, right? Uh, and, and they're just drinking it down. All those nations that have gotten on God's bad side will suffer for it. Uh, I just thought, for the sake of this image, give you a couple other examples of where this cup image appears. Uh, because it is all over the Bible. Uh, here's just a small handful. Uh, Isaiah 51 uses this same cup image. It says in verse 17, Rouse yourself, rouse yourself, stand up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl of staggering. Uh, that, that, that sounds like, that sounds, actually sounds kind of fun, the bowl of staggering, but no. Uh, it's, I notice how that's almost the exact same image, right? And, and almost, almost like word for word, that same idea that those who take, those who get God's wrath, they almost willingly, they willingly drink it down. They're so, they're so infatuated with their bad behavior that they love it, which is kind of the truth, right? Uh, they love their bad behavior. The wicked love what they do. They don't feel bad about it. And they indulge in it liberally without any hesitation. And what are they going to drink to the dregs? They'll end up staggering and they will fall. Let's look at another one here. Jeremiah 25. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and go out of their minds because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. So did Jeremiah get an image of a cup? I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. He had a vision. The Lord appeared to him. The Lord handed him a, this met this symbolic cup, uh, told Jeremiah, it's your job to go out uh, and pronounce my will to all the nations around. And of course, we know what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to drink it because, again, they're, they're cocky and they think they can handle it. And so they're going to just drink it down and they will suffer the wrath. They will stagger and go out of their minds. Uh, they, it, it's not just the cup, of course, following the cup will be the sword that he sends among them. Uh, but this same idea comes up with Jesus later. And we'll see this in Matthew 26. And going a little farther, he, Jesus, 
threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. So he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? He knows his days are numbered. He knows the Romans are coming. He knows that he's been betrayed. He knows that there's going to be a painful death coming. And Jesus, contrary to what often gets depicted, was not uh, purely devoted to the cause. He hesitated. Uh, he really hesitated. Who wouldn't hesitate knowing how vicious and painful crucifixion is? And you, so you get Jesus wording it very carefully. Uh, Father, if it's possible, let it pass from me. Now, not what I want, but you want. So I want you to take it away, but I'll still do what you want, right? But if there's a way to do this another way, could you do, take it away? That's a different Jesus from the one who begins and goes, I'm going to be crucified and I'm just going to go and it's the way it is. I think he understands it's the way it is. But when you're getting closer and you start to really think about it, it becomes less abstract and more concrete when you realize how painful it is. You waver. But how does he describe God's will that he face this horrible execution? He describes it as a cup. Let this cup pass from me. Like this is the cup of God's judgment or the cup of God's will. Uh, but now what I want, what you want. So it's a very, Jesus words that very carefully. But again, it's this idea that God, uh, God is capable of giving judgment. Uh, but the judgment, sometimes we drink it down ourselves because we kind of enjoy what we're doing. Well, that's how it is. We enjoy our bad habits. We enjoy the things that get us into trouble. We enjoy the vices that make us sick and these kind of things. Uh, if they didn't give us some sort of a payoff or a pleasure, we probably wouldn't do them. We probably wouldn't use them at all. And, um, and that's kind of how it works. So that's just a few thoughts here uh, on Psalm 75. And the next one, we'll jump ahead to Psalm 77. But thanks for, thanks for joining along. Thanks for watching. Uh, I hope it's been helpful to you. As always, leave messages or comments or anything you want for me. I'm here to answer questions. I hope you have a great week. God bless.